Kia ora and welcome to the Female Career Podcast. My name's Anna Johnston and I work as a leadership and career coach for women. I'm looking forward to sharing with you an inspiring collection of career stories of a diverse range of women of Aotearoa New Zealand. I hope that by listening to these stories, you'll feel inspired in your own career. If you do enjoy the story, please head along to our website, thefemalecareer.com, where we have lots more stories of wonderful Kiwi women and their careers. We'd also love you to subscribe to our podcast so that you have all the episodes at your fingertips. And please do tell your friends and family about it too. For now, though, I hope you enjoy listening to this career story. I'm really looking forward to speaking today with Julia Arnott Nini. Julia is a global strategist with her career spanning across Aotearoa, New Zealand, Australia, the UK and the USA in the technology sector. Julia has recently joined Emerge Aotearoa, the country's largest NGO, as their National Manager of Transformation. Julia is also a member of the Digital Council for Aotearoa, New Zealand, a member of World Economic Forum Global Futures Council on AI and Humanity, and she's also co-founded her own social enterprise, People for People, a youth-led Pacific organisation to help everyone confidently participate in the digital world. Now, we did have a few audio challenges for just the first few minutes of Julia's interview, so I'll summarise briefly what we covered in that, and then we'll kick straight into Julia continuing her story. Julia's career started in advertising as a strategic planner, and in that role she enjoyed understanding what drives people's behaviour, but then decided that advertising wasn't the right fit for her. After relocating to Sydney, Julia worked first in a pharmaceutical company, then moved into the role of ethnographic researcher at biotech firm Cochlear. She loved this role, and discovered that she had a real strength as a bridge between humans and technology. Julia was just 23 when she experienced a Me Too moment while working at a healthcare research agency. And this was a turning point for her and her career. The company moved her to a different team rather than directly addressing the situation. And Julia was left feeling hurt and afraid. She knew it was time for a change. I remember sitting and thinking, you know, I was so afraid of going overseas because I was young and I, and I didn't want to go alone and I'd never been. And I was like, you know, bad things can happen to me anywhere. And, and I was living in Sydney. My dad was in Sydney. It was, I was, had a really great quality of life. And I was like, well, why not try? Why not see what the big wide world would offer? And so I literally spent six hours redoing my entire resume. And, and I, all I thought to myself was, you know, the worst that can happen is I get a no. And then I just stay where I am. That's that's the worst thing that could happen. And so I literally got onto LinkedIn and I had this wacky resume, honestly. It was like I had like a map on the front, like I was just spinning yarns, just trying to just trying to stand out in the crowd. I literally went, uh, you know, it was like job, strategist, sector, technology, location, worldwide. And I just started applying for jobs. I went for like Shanghai, Singapore, New York, anywhere where there was a big city. So I thought that the numbers would work in my favor. Um, the odds would improve. And I just applied. And Quick Apply was my best friend because you didn't have to write a cover letter. And I just started whacking out these random applications all across the world. And I closed the laptop and I thought, you know what, at least from this situation, I've done something that's furthered myself. And, and that's something I can walk, walk with my head held high from. And then I got this random call from Romania a couple of days later, and I was like, shoot, where is Romania on a map? I do not remember applying for a job in Romania. And um, it was the recruiter for Hewlett Packard um, for the role of strategic planner in the United Kingdom and Ireland. And I was, I honestly had forgotten I'd applied for this job. And they, and they said to me, they were like, hey, so we're just wondering, 
uh, why did you apply for this role? And I was like, oh, well, it didn't say you couldn't. And so I had five interviews. It took six weeks and I, and I got the role. I don't know what they were smoking out in California. It is legal. Um, but I don't know how they managed it. I managed to get through. And two weeks later at 24, I was moving to London with my British passport. Thanks, mum. Judy, I'd love to ask because there, you know, a Me Too moment is not an unusual thing for women and particularly young women in their careers. Hopefully less usual nowadays, but um, but of course still happens, unfortunately. Have you got any advice for other women who maybe have experienced challenges, say, around sexual harassment or uh, inappropriate behaviour in the workplace? Yeah, it's, um, I know I'm still experiencing it. I've just experienced it, unfortunately, this year. Um, you sort of hope that as you, I don't know why you think as you get more credible or you, you kind of continue to have your receipts and prove yourself, I suppose, that you somehow, I, again, I think probably naively think that maybe you're less susceptible, but it's, it's actually not the case, is it? I'm really mindful of speaking about like advice, I think, because every situation is so deeply personal and it really goes back to the, to the person. I think when I was um, younger and, and the way in which I saw it, I definitely thought it was my fault. I thought that I was the problem. And, and when I spoke up and I was shut down quite so harshly and so pathetically, to be honest, by complete cowards, I didn't have it within me then to fight the system or to fight the, the, the organization. And, you know, I obviously got moved out and shifted into a different team and I got isolated from the group, right? And there's something to be said in terms of what the 24-year-old Julia and sort of 23-year-old Julia and how she navigated it, which was to go away and, and rise above and rise away from the system. But the version of me now at 29 years old is willing to kind of stand tall and to face the system and to say, I will not leave this space because of other people's lack of, you know, ethical and moral and good behavior. I will not be punished for the shortcomings of others. Um, but it's taken me a long time to find that voice and find that mana and to also find that, that level of willingness to put myself up on the line, to lose everything for the sake of the greater good and for the next generation that are coming through. And I will say when I was younger, I was a lot more afraid, a lot more afraid. You know, I thought that I was never going to get a job in Sydney ever again. And I was, you know, you really believe that it is the end of you. And it, I think for everyone, they may be at different journeys and stages in their own careers. And one thing I will say is it's so important to, to reach out and reach into your support network. That's one piece of advice that I think holds true across the board is not navigating this alone and to ensure that you have safety around you and your safe people around you for you to unpack and process and decompress and, and find what is the best way forward for you? So that is what I will say, that it's really important not to self-isolate and, and, and take yourself away from people who love and care about you deeply. Mm, wonderful advice. As you said, everyone's situation is different, but one thing that stands true mm. is to reach out and look for support in that situation. And I think, mm. you know, there are different situations, depends on your age, your role, your mm. risk, mm. You, you know, all those sort of things do play yeah. into it. So um, I think, yeah important to recognize that too there's no right way mm. and as you said I wish it still didn't happen but unfortunately yeah. it does 
then after you moved then into HP um, and so more yep. firmly into the technology world, how did yep. you find that shift? Because that's quite a, you know, <laughs> it was a transition of countries, of course, um, yeah. but also yeah. a transition in the continents, transition of um, broadly still in the tech space, but very different. How was yeah. the transition? Yeah, it was uh, brutal, brutal. Um, <laughs> I, I honestly thought that because my mum's from England and, and, you know, I have a British passport that I would somehow romantically fall in love with London and it would be happily ever after along, along with far surpassing what I thought I could do at, at my own age um, in the industry. And gosh, it's, it's, that's a whole other kettle of fish, hey? Like I was doing six hour commutes a day to our HP offices from central London, from east London, all the way out to Bracknell, which was, you know, it's less further than going past Hamilton every day. It was a huge trip I was doing um, three times a week for the first three to six months just because of the location and the size of, of the city and where we were sort of our main offices were, were outside of the London city centre. And, you know, I loved the challenges that came with it. And I think it was also back to the amount of energy I had and also the huge amount of gratitude plus imposter syndrome. So I was really trying to make sure that they hadn't made a mistake and they actually did pick Julia Arnott-Nini for sure. But it was, um, it was tough. Because I was panning um, the whole HP portfolio, so both B2B and B2C and all of our product clients too. And I was really meant to, you know, I was really embodying a center of excellence to be the voice of the consumer across every single one of those product portfolios and across both B2B and B2C as a 24-year-old Kiwi from the other side of the world. Or, or, and, and even, you know, breaking that down, a 24-year-old Samoan, Chinese and British, New Zealand-born um, young female. So... I really had um, set myself up to some, some serious uh, strength training and that's it, resilience training. Um, but it was also really magical too because what came of that was it was a whole new level of grit and a whole new level of understanding that my value is really can um, be brought back to down to my human skills. Um, and my ability to navigate those challenges came back to my ability to, to resonate with other humans and to, to move past the technical terms and technical language and to really be a bridge between highbrow and lowbrow or between head and heart or between technical and non-technical. And it turns out that I'm pretty damn good at it. So, yeah, it was it was brutal. It was definitely brutal. I won't sugarcoat that. But the, the outcomes of that was, was redefining how I understood myself and how I understood the value I can add to the space. Mm, nice. And then I believe HP then took you over to the States before the crazy times of COVID hit. And then you decided yeah. to return home to Aotearoa. Tell me yeah. a bit about that journey. Yeah. Yeah. So that was um, all connected up to a really great existential crisis, which I think everyone probably has at different stages in their lives. But, you know, for all of the glitz and the glam of HP, for the salary, for the opportunities and for the life that London brings you, what I started to recognize more and more was that technology is exacerbating inequality. Those that can access the benefits are those with the, the largest wallets. And equally, what I noticed about London and, and I guess quality to, of life for me was that it was an abundance of luxuries and the starvation of necessities. You know, I deeply missed blue sky. I'm going to be real straight with you, Anna. I really missed blue sky. I missed sun. I missed clean air, fresh air. I missed um, a lot of the... The, the foundational parts of what a human being needs, which which can kind of be dressed up and, and made to believe that we need all of the stimulation and really we need um, quite the opposite a lot of the time. So it was a combination of, of, of both of those things that really started to drive this inner yearning to come home. And at the time that I was recognizing and, and identifying the digital divide and the tech gap, and the reason why that was so important to me is because the communities that I recognized that were going to get most 
negatively impacted were, were those that were already experiencing hardship in our country and were already marginalized. And that is, as one example, is our Māori and Pacific communities. And so although I individually was rising with the type of technology that was not ultimately fulfilling my purpose and, and the values that I was brought up with around service and supporting others. And so the navigation or, or the journey back home was really a journey to come home and serve. Although I went to California and I got another great promotion and it was it was really awesome, that inner voice and that inner knowing of, of um, feeling quite empty inside and empty in that experience or shallow in that experience was just getting louder and louder and louder. And I had an, a, a situation that happened in um, Los Angeles on a work trip in West Hollywood where myself and another work colleague were um, drugged, kidnapped and robbed. I think that'll do it to anyone to make them question what they're doing and where they're going in life. And I definitely um, had that moment uh, when, I, when I really thought about it and I was like, man, um, had something more sinister have happened, would I have been proud of where I was? And it was a, it was an easy no for me. And so rather than, you know, some people project and they say, oh, wait till you get to 40 and, and then go and, and help others. And it's like, well, if I'm not lit up now, why would I, why would I stay dead while alive and wait to be lit up? Like, why would I? And so I, um, I, I, I tried to resign. That was the second time I tried to resign from HP and, and um, thankfully they accepted this time and I um, went to Ghana for a couple of weeks and I um, taught technology, communication and entrepreneurs and training school in Accra and then I um, navigated back my way uh, to Aotearoa by February 2020. So as you say, just before COVID hit um, and all the chaos of, of, of the world unfolded and obviously it's still unfolding to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. What an interesting journey. And then tell me yeah. then a bit about the journey to the role that you're doing today at Emerge Aotearoa. Yeah, cool. So when I came back, um, you know, I didn't have a job lined up. And one thing I will say is I didn't expect to experience the amount of rejection that I did. Um, I think um, a few expats will maybe resonate with that when they have come and, and navigated their way back after some international experience or global experience that there is a, you know, we, we can use the term tall poppy syndrome. And again, rose tinted glasses are still on, firmly on. And I I sort of thought, well, well, wouldn't you see this as a value add? And I remember really clearly somebody saying to me, like, oh, you're just too innovative for this role. And we're going to have to hire someone to fill the role anyway because you'll just go and do a, a whole bunch of other different things in this organization. So, you know, it's a no from us. And I was like, man, that's crazy. That is wild. You're basically asking for mediocre, but not saying it directly to me. So I had to pivot and, and, I, and I did some freelancing work. And at the same time, I was setting up a social enterprise called People for People, and um, we were really honored to be selected for a fellowship and receive some funding and started activating in the space of digital equity and implementing different interventions and uh, initiatives to support more Māori and Pacific to consider technology as a future pathway and also to advocate for greater accessibility and infrastructure around digital equity too. So I was freelancing. I was also um, building, uh, I guess, a little organization um, and I spent some time at the spin-off as Director of Strategy and Insights for a little bit, but still was, I guess, yearning for that intersection between purpose and profession and space-based systems change too, um, which has really been focused in one area. And I, I'm driven by three things I think I can identify quite clearly now, which is um, justice, uh, people, and futures. And this role in transformation really beautifully aligns all of those three components and sits at the nexus of all of them. So I've landed myself at Emerge Aotearoa, working in the transformation space across the Motu, and I'm about a month old in, and it's been a really interesting journey so far. And at the same time, doing a lot of work in digital equity and increasing representation of Māori and Pacific and technology too. So 
living a really beautifully full life now and it's, it's been quite a long journey to get here with it. obviously lots of ups and downs but I, I feel really honored and blessed to be able to say I'm I'm pretty proud of where I'm at right mm, now. Nice. And nice to have that very clear too for yourself, okay? Uh, the things that I really care mm. about, justice, people, futures, you know, that's um, mm. nice and clear and seeing how you can bring that to life in the different parts of your your work as well. Yeah. And you yeah. talked, Judy, about some of the ups and downs, and we have heard about, you know, a couple mm-hmm. of those downs already. If you look back mm. at your career to date and you think about it, you know, are there any other tough career challenges or moments that you wanted to share? <laughs> Gosh, I, I think some of the some of the everyday ones are just around sacrifice. You have to get really comfortable with sacrifice and loneliness if you're going to live a big life. And I, I don't think I fully understood that because when I came home, silly, I, I just had one job. I had I had the job. And um, when I landed, I very quickly started realizing that I had a lot of different jobs. And, and, and again, as I recognized that there was areas in which I could add value, trying to navigate where to show up and where not to show up and, and to kind of really be comfortable with, with potentially um, not having as much of a social life, although that's obviously not advisable. Um, and, and perhaps my health and well-being also took a big sacrifice for, for a good few years there to just, I was just hustling, just hustling to break through and hustling to prove or hustling to sort of have your receipts hustling to, to build credibility like any any new person in any new brand or any new organization has to do that and that's something that you have to get really comfortable with and it's not easy you know it's not easy and it's not glamorous and there's a huge amount of loneliness that comes with that because it gets very difficult for people to resonate or understand too when you're when you're walking a very different path why why are you doing that and I remember my therapist saying to me really um, honestly he's like Julia you're going to make a lot of people feel insecure. And you won't be trying to do anything, but that will just be some of their responses to you. And, you know, that, that really broke my heart because I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to hurt anyone or, or make anyone feel a type of way. But I also had to let go and feel okay in the sense that, yeah, this is a really lonely journey. So I think some of the daily sort of battles I still have is, is definitely around feeling um, sometimes a bit isolated or, or, or a little bit sort of quite different compared to most and and equally um some of the sacrifices you have to you have to make as well um although i'm i'm definitely working on shifting that now into more of a maintenance phase than an establishment phase so i can kind of have a have a bit more of a a fuller life holistically Mm. and i know outside of kind of the day job you do a number of different other roles as well how do you find Mm. some kind of a balance between the more career Mm -hmm. side of your life and, and your broader life you know what, this is probably about a month in that I'm trying this, honestly, Anna, like this is brand new for me. Um, I took about five weeks off between the spin-off and this new role and, oh man, it's nice to have time, eh? Holy heck, I was like, this feels pretty good. Going for a swim in the day and going for a walk and oh my gosh, this is quite nice and I've, I've really struggled to... I guess give that up and go back into this productivity machine, which I think has kind of demonstrated how much I had conditioned myself almost to be like a, a high performing athlete of some sort, but in a, in a productivity sense. And, and what I am trying to do now is really draw the line around, you know, when the day's done, I'm done. And, and equally the choice to move to Amir Altero was a wellbeing move. And like it was a very strategic decision to shift myself away from sectors that don't value Hawada 
and don't value like te whare type of fire that don't understand deeply around the importance of wellness of people. Um, and I and I really made that strong decision with a lot of intention behind it because, you know, again, we talk about virtue signaling. A lot of companies are out here saying, you know, bring your whole self to work. We care about people. We're human-centered, this and the other. But at the end of the day, they're focused on the bottom line. And when push comes to shove, they're a capitalist machine that's focused on Again, productivity, much like I spoke about the, the old version of me. And also, what are they going to report back to the board and shareholders and, and so on and so forth? And I do understand, obviously, that is the reality of life. So I'm very values-led. And if you're not living by your values, I don't want to be part of it. So so this decision to move to Emerge was a values-driven one. And it has also allowed for a lot, me to be a lot more confident in saying, you know, I am going to switch off. I am going to go play tennis after work like I did today. I'm going to go for a swim in the morning um, and not to feel shame or guilt around that. So, so it was a combination of, of making a better decision around my employer. And equally, it's about um, believing in myself that, you know, I am worthy of this and I'm not going to get fired if I, if I look after myself, you know. And I think, again, that's sort of a lot of lies and fallacies we're told if you're not constantly delivering that somehow you're not worthy. So, yeah, I've been doing some deconstruction work as mm-hmm. well. Really interesting work and interesting thoughts. And I know that a lot of people go through that similar thought. As you said, sometimes you have to step off for a little bit to recognize how mm. fast you are running. And sometimes the environment and the pace that you're in in the environment can help reset you a little bit. We talked a little bit, Julia, about some of the tough times. I guess, you know, mm. as you reflect, um, what have been some mm. of your proudest career moments? Yeah, I mean, honestly, getting that gig at HP in London at 24, that is just loose. That is just seriously wild. Um, I, I never saw that coming. And, and that, again, maybe that's the universe equalizing or stabilizing from, from where it sort of was driven from originally. But that was a, an insane moment. Um, equally working at Cochlear, being able to be transferred to USA to work in California, that was far beyond in my wildest dreams. Being able to take my mum for a, for a trip in Italy to be able to like give back to her and honour her and all of her sacrifices that she went through. Spoiling my mum is, is, is a way I feel very feel like I'm you know being a good daughter, but also just paying her back for some of those sacrifices. I think now it's some of the proudest moments are really um, around how I'm supporting others, activating others into jobs. Some of the, the initiatives we've done where we see you know Rangatahi's faces completely light up with the opportunities that we've built for them. The, the beautiful messages that I've that I have inspired someone or that someone's gotten a role out of a connection or, or has furthered themselves, all of those moments right now are, are the, where I'm the most happiest. And I feel the most fulfilled and, and most joyful is when I'm when I am supporting others and for me that's just the biggest blessing and I can't I honestly can't believe that I'm able to live this full life and, and see others rise and that's that's what my future looks like. And that just brings me so much joy and peace. Mm, interesting journey and as you kind of referred to previously that a lot of people kind of wait till they maybe are in their 40s or their 50s before maybe going okay now I'm really gonna figure out what's really important to me and I then I will make that shift and sometimes it's hard to make that shift at that point in time because you've got sort of too much history and potentially finances tied up in it and then so actually it's um whereas you've gone okay no I'm I'm ready now and you know she said what lights me up and I will um I will do that and and part of that obviously you talked about the digital equity piece but also you can hear that coming through support Supporting others um, as well as that comes through. I, w- I will just, like, I will say, like, I have been, I've worked really hard, but I'm also incredibly fortunate that I'm able to not forego financial goals whilst in the pursuit of values. 
And that's a very new thing. So, so for example, last year I was able to buy a house. And the fact that I was able to buy a house plus be values-driven and choose an organization based on values is a huge privilege, huge privilege. And it's something that I remember adults laughing in my face back when I was a young buck, a youngster, um, and saying that I wanted to pursue both purpose and profession. And they're like, you, you won't be able to feed yourself. You know, like if you choose a values decision, you won't be able to to make it in life. And so, again, I like I really want to acknowledge that I, I am very privileged in that sense, that I can speak so um, confidently about these moves because, um, yeah, the, I, I had to do my time almost to a certain extent in the private sector to be in this position too, you know. I just really wanted to, I guess, acknowledge the privilege that I hold there, um, that I'm able to kind of live live with both goal, goals in parallel. Mm, and I think it is important to talk about it because absolutely it is a privilege to have the choice to choose to make a values move financially. So um, that's, a, that's a great point. You're still, you, know, you talked about, oh, when I was a young buck, but you're still pretty young, certainly quite a bit younger than me. So, um, you know, you've still got lots of career ahead of you. Where do you see your career heading in the future? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. So I'm 29 years old, turned 29 on the 29th last year. I guess I'm, 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 I'm a hold on to my 20s all of this year. Uh, there's a few different areas that I would, I would love to see myself evolve into. One of which is right now there are no, and, and again, I, um, if somebody does know of someone, please, 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 please tell me, but from what I have seen that there is there's very few, if not no, uh, digital tech CEOs that are of um, Pacific descent and are wahine or are women. And that those that are that do exist uh, are not necessarily um, operating on the same commercial level as some of our um, counterparts in the marketplace as well. So one of my challenges I've set for myself is wondering could I could I um, evolve into what what may look like being a founder of a really commercially successful and uh, an, an organization that champions digital equity in parallel. And maybe they sit as two entities, maybe they sit as one, I'm not too sure, but there's a space in place that I would love to challenge myself to see if I could, could I guess, break that through that, that, that um, glass ceiling to a certain extent. But additional to that is we know that Māori and Pacific are 40% more likely to hire Māori and Pacific. And if we can continue to drive that sort of wealth creation within the economy, that is a form of decolonization. And so that's one piece that I, I've kind of stood out as a challenge. I don't know if I'll make it. And that's also totally okay. Another one is um, in my future, I would love to to kind of build a community center of sorts um, and, and sort of build what, what may be a modern day library or innovation hub and make a space and really champion lifelong learning is, 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 and is as cool as rugby or TikTok or anything else. Um, so that's something that I'd really love to try and try and um, try and build and create that safe space for. Um, it's something that's really I'm really passionate about. And equally, want to continue to evolve people for people and build an academy of sorts and and, and uplifting the number of again Moana peoples and Maori Pacific into the digital tech sector um, wherever they choose to see fit. And also additional to that, the deconstruction of the technology sector to also be a safer space for Maori and Pacific to participate and to thrive. So. There's a couple of different quadrants. Again, the, the main piece within all of that is, is again, justice, people, and futures. But, um, yeah, we'll see. I, I'm a bit nervous to say that out loud because, yeah, you always get a bit freaked out. You're like, oh, who do I think I am? But, oh, well, we'll see. <laughs> and sometimes you have to put it out there to try it on for size and see how it goes. And also, you know, if you don't put it out there, then probably it, it might not happen. Whereas now, yeah, it's out there in the world and who, who knows what happened. I look forward to seeing seeing what the future does hold for you. It sounds whatever it's going to be and it's going to be an exciting journey. 
Now, I know we talked earlier about kind of and you're a bit hesitant to give advice, um, particularly on the kind of the Me Too setting. I guess if I step it out a bit broader into um, into careers more generally, have you got any advice for, for other women? Yeah. Uh, one of the biggest mantras that I, um, I, I always refer back to and I, I um, <laughs> might sound a bit um, like a broken record is you cannot be found unless you put your flame up. And it's something that has held me true in my entire career. Like if I hadn't have put my name forward for this HP role, if I hadn't have put my that resume out and, and flown it across all over the different areas across the globe and, and got a, a lot of rejections, like a lot of rejections, I never would have got that one yes. And I think that's just held me in such a strong stead across my journey. And, and I've almost, you know, sometimes I have pulled out of things because I've thought, oh, like the digital council, I never thought I would get selected. So I pulled out of the, the I guess, the application, and then, who know, like lo and behold, they asked me, "Can can you please put your name forward?" And and next minute I got in, and I was like, "Oh, whoops! Didn't even take didn't even take on board my own mantra. Whoopsie!" Um, so that is one that I really would reinforce, and I go back to often. Sometimes when I start doubting myself, is you cannot be found unless you put your flame up, and and equal to that is. For the 100 no's or the 1,000 no's, you only need one yes that can change everything. And that goes back to feeling really comfortable with rejection. Like I have, like me and rejection are good friends. Like we are tight as, and it doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt, but it does mean that I don't let it stop me from trying again. Additional to that, I would say is there's always going to be people that you are, that are going to tell you you are too much of something. I have been told I'm too much my whole career, too loud, too colorful, too bright, too young, too, too, too brown, too white. Like I've been told all sorts of, I'm, constantly people will tell you you're too something. And, and what I have learned to continue to do is just not even, I mean, you can acknowledge if you wish, but, but to keep on going and growing, continue to grow into whatever that too much may be for you. Um, and not let that seem as an insecurity or, or, or be an inferiority to you because that you never know that could actually be your, your special source, your absolute strength in that, and that someone else's insecurity that they're projecting onto you. So those would be some, some three pieces of advice. Would definitely, But you cannot be found if you don't put your flame up. For the 100 or thousands of no's, and you only need one yes that can change everything. And if anyone tells you you're too something, keep going and keep growing. Wonderful advice, and I certainly think that last one. Absolutely, we you know we often get told we're too something, um, and sometimes the hesitation in that or the temptation in that space is to shrink back, but instead to step into it and go, okay, well, what if I was a little bit more? What if I dialed that up a bit more? What would that look like? And then I think probably through that, your flame's going to shine a little bit brighter as well. Yeah, lovely. Judith, it has been such a pleasure to speak with you today, and we've covered such a wide range of topics. Which has been fantastic um, to hear about your career journey, particularly that journey into finding, you know, what what are the things that are important to you? Um, what are your values? What are your morals? What um, what's your purpose? And that journey to finding that has been um, has been really interesting to hear. So thank you. Mm, thank you so much. Thank you so much for holding space, and I really appreciate this. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Female Career Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more inspiring stories of women of Aotearoa and their careers, subscribe to the Female Career Podcast via Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you like to listen so that you never miss a story. 
You can also take a look at our website, thefemalecareer.com, where we feature the stories. And if you subscribe to our mailing list, you can have career advice and inspiration delivered directly to your inbox. Thanks for your support, and I look forward to you joining us again soon. Thank you.